Welcome to this installment of Witness to Yesterday, the podcast of the Champlain Society. My name is Patrice Dutille, and I'm talking from the Allen Slate Radio Institute at Ryerson University in downtown Toronto. I'm doing a small series on the teaching of history within our podcast, talking to experts about how the practice fares in Canada. Today, I'm delighted to talk to Dr. Carla Peck, professor in the Faculty of Education at the University of Alberta. One of her areas of interest is on students' historical understandings, and in particular, the relationship between students' ethnic identities and their understandings of history. Before teaching at the university level, Dr. Peck taught elementary school in New Brunswick. We reached her at her office in Edmonton. Carla, delighted to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. What are the challenges of teaching history to elementary school kids? Well, that's a great question. And uh, I think uh, one of the main challenges is that in elementary school, history is actually situated within a course typically known as social studies. And so teachers are having to balance not only uh, history requirements in the curriculum, but also other uh, subject areas that typically fall within the social studies and, you know, most typically geography, uh, economics, political science, that sort of thing. And so, so one of the biggest challenges is actually just sort of fighting for curriculum time and space. It's possible for children to think historically? It is possible for children to think historically. Uh, it, very young children can think historically. If you think of what uh, what young children are fascinated by and stories of dinosaurs and, um, you know, exploring out into space. It is possible for them to have these uh, abstract ideas and, and think about times that are different from the one that they're living in now. And so our challenge is to figure out how can we do that well with even very young children. So what's your impression about the Canadian curriculum writ large? I'm asking you big, broad questions here. How, how, how are we doing as a country uh, in terms of teaching ele- elementary school children history? Well, I think that there have certainly been improvements over the last, let's say, couple of decades as uh, research on, more research on how children are actually able to do these things is making its way into the curriculum and, you know, into the hands of the people who, who have the authority to design curriculum. So, you know, we've overcome, I think we've overcome to a large extent that hurdle that assumed that young kids couldn't do that work. So there's definitely uh, a willingness to include historical thinking concepts and ideas in more and more elementary school curricula. Mm-hmm. Where the challenge lies, though, is in teacher preparation. Because um, uh, elementary school teachers, I was one, uh, we are, are trained in our education to be generalist teachers, meaning we have to teach the whole curriculum, not just one subject area. Right. So we're responsible for math and science and art and music and phys ed and everything else, plus social studies and history. And so what that means is that not every social, or not every elementary school teacher, rather, um, comes into uh, the classroom with, a, you know, a really rich background in teaching history. Some do, for sure, but not all do. Mm-hmm. So I think we've got some work to do uh, when it comes to preparing 
specifically elementary generalist teachers, what does it mean to teach history? What is history as a discipline of inquiry? And what does it, you know, how do we go about teaching history to, to young kids? Well, you've been part of a very important initiative in helping school teachers do that, and it's called the Historical Thinking Project. What is the Historical Thinking Project? Well, I was a very lucky uh, doctoral student at the University of British Columbia because I got to work with Dr. Peter Satius, who internationally renowned for his work on historical thinking and historical consciousness. And Peter had this vision of, of uh, wanting to help teachers, but also help curriculum, you know, ministries of education and curriculum developers uh, understand better what does it mean to teach history and, uh, and to prepare, you know, provide professional learning opportunities for teachers who wanted to, to uh, work on that aspect of, of their um, profession. And so the Historical Thinking Project uh, primarily had a two-pronged approach. We uh, worked with and are continuing to work with teachers, providing professional learning opportunities through workshops and summer institutes and resources uh, to help teachers understand uh, what it means to teach history using a historical thinking pedagogy. And then uh, we also uh, worked with and are continuing to work with ministries of education and curriculum developers and textbook authors and publishers to, uh, to help them infuse a historical thinking concepts, ideas, and pedagogy into their curricula and textbooks and other materials that they may be developing. So this project identifies six skills for thinking historically that I find really excellent, really fascinating. And, I, and I, I'd like to go through them with you to, to give us a sense of, of how it actually works. So there are six skills, and the first skill is called establishing historical significance. Again, how do we do this with elementary school or high school? Or in fact, how, how do we establish historical significance at the conversation at the dinner table? <laughs> right. That's a great question. So, uh, so first of all, I would say that these, uh, these concepts are are broader than skills. They are they form the the basis for how we go about understanding history. So although there are certainly skills involved in understanding or ascribing historical significance, the concept itself is bigger than a skill because it's about understanding that events and people and developments are not significant in and of themselves. The principles of historical significance tell us that it's people like you and me and students and curriculum developers and museum uh, exhibit curators, uh, people who make movies, we're the ones who decide what is historically significant. And so what we need to do with students, and in fact with anyone, including family members sitting around the table, is think about, well, what are the criteria that we use to actually make decisions about historical significance? How are we going to decide what monument gets put up in our town? Or what? Um, or should be torn down. Or going to be torn down. Yes. <laughs> uh, or what topics are we going to include in our curriculum? Or what memories from our vacation are we going to include in a photo album if anyone makes photo albums anymore? Yes. These all involved uh, decisions about significance. I, it's a very important place to start, isn't it? I mean, to simply say, well, I think this is important, and what do you think? And the other person says, well, I don't think it's important, but maybe That's something it. else. 
we take it for granted. That's a conversation we take for granted, but it's important to isolate it as a particular step in, in, in discussion, isn't it? I absolutely agree because, uh, because again, these things, events and people, they're not significant in and of themselves. People in the past made decisions. They're going to put up monuments to Johnny McDonald or they're going to name a school or they're going to tear something else down. And then so it, it leads us into a realization that ideas about significance change over time. And they are subjective. Yeah, exactly. And so what my grandparents or your grandparents thought was significant in their lifetime, we today may look look differently on that. We may still think that something is very, or someone is incredibly historically significant, but our reasons may also change. The, and the criteria that we use may change. The second skill you identify is using primary source evidence. What do you mean by that? And again, how do you, how do you teach this to elementary school kids? So uh, primary source evidence, and in fact, all types of evidence, is absolutely central to everything that we do, to all of the other historical thinking concepts. We cannot study the past without working with evidence, whether it's primary or secondary sources. And so what we do with elementary students is we help them, we help them think about what are the kinds of questions that we can ask about the different types of evidence that is available to us to learn about the past. And so if a student is examining a diary entry or a newspaper article or an artifact, we would ask different questions of those pieces of evidence in order to understand uh, the, the historical situation that we're trying to better understand, whether it's a person's decision to take a particular action or it's why, you know, the flu epidemic happened when it did um, and spread the way that it did. We want students to understand that the stories that they end up seeing in their textbook don't just magically appear, that these are constructions, mm -hmm. and that the people who wrote these things that are, are in textbooks or that in movies or wherever we come across historical narratives, they hopefully have worked with lots of different pieces of evidence to come up with an interpretation of what's happened in the past. And so, so that's another key learning. Not only is it about what kinds of questions do we ask about the different pieces of evidence and types of evidence that we, uh, we have available to us, uh, but also how do historians, including young student historians, yes. how, do they, how can they use that uh, evidence and, in, and their interpretation skills to actually develop a reasonable, uh, well-developed, uh, narrative uh, account of whatever topic it is they might be studying. I mean, at the Champlain Society, this is what we've been doing since 1905, is providing <laughs> providing primary source evidence to Canadians. So I'm really happy to see that you're putting such an emphasis on primary school on primary evidence in, in elementary school. I, I'm just delighted by that. Certainly, I mean, I, I don't want to betray my age, but certainly we never would have thought, or never, I was never exposed to that until, no. in fact, until late in university. I mean, late in right. university, not even early university. But I, I was in, I mean, I was in graduate school when I really started manipulating uh, primary sources. So I'm delighted that you see this as so important that it has to be in the elementary school curriculum. I think it's absolutely crucial. And, you know, I was lucky uh, not long after I moved to Alberta, I was invited to a school in sort of northwest, northwest of Edmonton 
and was asked to be the historian in residence for a couple of days. Hmm. And the principal of the school wanted me there to work with students, but also with teachers on how we can do this work. And we brought with us uh, several different artifacts kits that are available through different museums and, and other organizations, because I felt it was absolutely crucial for students to be able to get their hands on artifacts and other documents, but more so, most importantly, learn about the types of questions they can ask. And surely with the, with the availability of the internet, I mean, you can, you can, you can get a document, you can get a picture, you can get anything. I mean, it's, a, it's literally at the fingertips of the students. It's literally at your fingertips. So one of the challenges that we face at the elementary level is, you know, reading uh, uh, levels and abilities. And so what we have to really think about when we're thinking about the kinds of artifacts and documents we're going to bring in uh, to our classrooms for elementary students is, do they really need to read the whole newspaper article, or could we just select an excerpt that is most relevant to mm. the question? What's your answer? Pardon me? What's your answer? My answer is, we just need the excerpt. Okay. Because when we think about sort of developmental appropriateness for what we're trying to accomplish at the elementary level, is we're wanting to help them understand analysis skills. Right. As they go up through the grades and then into university, as you said, we can increase the complexity. Right. Well, okay, let's go to the third skill. Identify continuity and change. What do you mean by that? So continuity and change is about really complexifying uh, students' ideas about time. And so continuity and change uh, is often thought of in terms of chronology, right? And, and, and sure. of course, that's very important, what, what happened first, second, and third, and, and that sort of thing. Uh, but it's also about understanding the pace of change, that sometimes things happen really, really quickly, and other times things happen at a more glacial pace, uh, and, and helping students understand that. And it's also about uh, understanding that sometimes something will change in one part of the country and not in other parts of the country, or the world for that matter. Carla, so, it strikes me as very mature. This is a very mature concept. <laughs> <laughs> it is a very mature, but you know, kids can understand that. They understand yeah, I'm that. I'm encouraged by what you're saying. Well, I think that we underestimate what young kids can do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, kids understand that they have a cell phone and their friends don't, or vice versa. They can understand that not everything's the same, right, in their community or in their world. So why not help them think about when cities were modernizing and getting electricity in the countryside, there were still, you know, there wasn't plumbing and, you know, people were still using outhouses and yes. things like that. That's not too hard to understand. It's the very delight of discovering history, isn't it? It's, it's really, how, how did things change? How did that, why is it that some things continued? I mean, I, you know, I, I think of this, I see it on paper, and I think, my goodness, this is what I do every day as I try to distinguish between continuity and change. Well, and so this is the absolute brilliance of, of Peter's work. Yes. Spacious work in developing this framework for historical thinking and identifying what these concepts are. Because again, when we think about teachers, some of them will have a background in history. Lots of them won't, especially if we think about generalist elementary sure. teachers. Sure. Sure. And so providing them with this, their own scaffolding for what does, what does history actually mean 
is crucial. It gets more complicated, Carla, because your number four skill is analyzing cause and consequence. What yes. do you mean by that? So cause and consequence, uh, this one will be familiar to lots of teachers that often thought of in terms of cause and effect. But again, it's about sort of making more complex. How did things happen in the past? Why did changes occur? Who made things happen? This part, I think, is absolutely central to cause and consequence. Mm-hmm. Well, Peter and I did a study with some high school students uh, in the Lower Mainland region of British Columbia, and we asked them very simply, uh, write the history of Canada starting, you know, whenever you want to start and work your way to the present. And one of the things that we noticed when we analyzed their essays is that they, they wrote things like, on July 1st, 1867, Canada confederated. So we went to bed on June 30th, and then the next day, people woke up and we were a country. So it was the absence of people that we noticed and the the actions of people. So agency is absolutely central to the idea of cause and consequence because it's about who makes things, who made things happen. Did they work individually? Did they work in groups? What were the contexts in which they made change or at least attempted to make change? What were the things that enabled them to, to make progress or that were barriers to progress? And this concept of agency and cause and consequence, to me, is one of the most important ones when we think about the main purpose of schools, and in particular, social studies and history education, which is citizenship education. So if students can see models of people who made change, but also understand that change isn't easy, usually. Right, right. Usually it's very hard. It's very and people hard. have to be strategic and, and think about how are they going to do all the things they want to do to accomplish their goal. Then it, it has a real impact, potentially, I think, on students' ideas about how, their role in society. What is the place of chronology in all this? Is there still room for a memorization of what, of you know, of dates and wars? Is, is, there, is there any room for that, or has that been evacuated? The idea, again, I'm thinking cause and consequence of knowing that before 1867, there were colonies uh, established, British colonies established in North America, uh, that there was an American uh, War of Independence. I mean, is there, is there still a value in, in, in insisting that dates be learned, or is that completely out, out of fashion? Well, I absolutely think there's value in understanding chronology and understanding, you know, that certain things happened uh, before or after other things because that helps us understand causes and consequences, Mm -hmm. right? That we understand what, you know, that there were things that uh, led up to another particular event. And so I think there is definite uh, need for understanding chronology. I don't think there's a need to just memorize these things because... Um, memorizing for the sake of memorizing doesn't actually require any specific historical or critical thinking. Right. Okay, well, your fifth skill is even more important, and it is to take historical perspectives. What do you mean by that? So this one, along with the ethical dimension, which we'll come to shortly, I think are perhaps the most difficult of the historical thinking concepts because they require us to try and uh, bracket our present-day thinking in order to understand how people thought and lived and why they did the things they did in the past. And that is really, really hard. It's really hard not to impose a 2018 lens on what is right and wrong uh, onto actors in the past. 
And so the historical, uh, taking an historical perspective is about helping students figure out how to do that. How, what, and so the evidence is absolutely key with this one sure. because you can't take a historical perspective without doing a fairly deep dive into some of the evidence of the time in order to understand the, the values and mores and political and economic conditions of the time right. that would have informed and shaped a person's worldview. Now, your last, your last skill is, as you said, understanding the ethical dimension of right. historical interpretations. What do you mean by that? So the ethical dimension asks us to think about, as a society today, how do we live with and live together with the things that have gone on in the past? Right. At, at what point do we, are we able to say that something in the past, to make judgments about, about actors and actions that occurred in the past? And this one is, of course, incredibly fraught, but it's also incredibly relevant today. We witness all the conversations about Sir John A. Macdonald and, and many, many other historic sure. actors just in the last six months yes. in Canada. And so, so this one is, is a very challenging question, but it's, it's the one that brings the connection between the past to the present, to our present-day lives. And it, and it does ask us to consider you know, how do, we, how do we live and work and be together in a society knowing what happened in the past? How do we sort of reconcile those past wrongs? It strikes me as though this, I'll call it a revolutionary approach, is a lot more than history, isn't it? It's a lot more about critical thinking. It's about understanding who you are, understanding your community, understanding how your community fits in with the rest of the community, how the local community fits into the provincial community, how it fits into the national community, the international community. It's very ambitious. Am I, am I wrong, Carla? I mean, it strikes me as extremely ambitious. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think it is really ambitious. But I would, I would go back to what I said earlier and that we should not underestimate what it is kids are able to do. And, and, and students are interested in these questions. They want to understand their place in the world, mm -hmm. whether their world is their small community or the province or nation or the world writ large. And so I see our job as helping them figure that stuff out. Where mm -hmm. do they fit? How is their identity shaped by the past and into the going into the future? And, and yeah, that's, that's our job. So. Uh, as we sit now in, in 2018, uh, and I asked you to, uh, as a teacher, how would you grade then? How would you grade the historical curriculum in Canada? Does it, does it get a, a B? Now, now that we have this, the, now that we have this fantastic new approach, I mean, where are we at now? Are you, are, how would you grade it? Is Canada a C, a B, an A? Or where would you? How would you grade it? So I believe strongly in the use of formative assessment assessment for learning. So this is, my comments are not summative in that there's no place to go from here. My comments would be that we have made significant progress as curricula in the various provinces and territories come up for revision uh, across the country. You see this in Ontario and BC most recently in their curriculum redesign. 
Alberta's in the midst of it right now. But in every province and territory, curriculum developers in the social studies and history area are building these ideas into their curriculum. And so I think we've actually made a tremendous amount of progress in a short amount of time. I mean, the Historical Thinking Project only began in 2006. That's only 12 years ago. Do you think that there's still room to break out history from social science? Or should we just stay with the social science and and inculcate the historical notions inside social science? Would you prefer having history still being taught as history? Or are you okay with the social science? Well, I I mean, I think that uh, if I had my ways, yes, it would be nice to have a little bit more curriculum time dedicated to history. I'm not sure that's a battle that is, is worth fighting, though, because Social studies does make sense at the uh, elementary level when we think about all the other competencies we want students to be thinking about. What we were just talking about in terms of understanding their place in the world, they need all these other things, geography and political science, you know, for grade two kids, that's not about uh, making political arguments per se, but right. it is about learning about citizens' role in society. So this is this is the constant tension from when social studies was created as a school subject back in the early 1900s. You know, what is the place of history in all of this? Right. Um, but I think developmentally speaking, it makes sense to, to develop some, uh, you know, develop the groundwork, lay the groundwork, if you like, in the elementary grades by introducing some of these concepts. And then as students go up through the grades um, in different provinces across the country, they're able to actually go into specific history courses. Well, I, I have no doubt that if we succeed in, in, in teaching these six skills uh, for thinking historically and, and even, you know, as adults, as adults apply those six skills, I think that our society will be much better off. Uh, well, I really, I agree. <laughs> and I think that uh, these ideas, these six historical thinking concepts, absolutely provide a framework for uh, in-depth thinking about Canada's past, and that's never a bad thing. Thank you, Carla, for uh, this insightful discussion on thinking historically and for reminding us of what it means and how to do it and even how to teach it. My pleasure. It's great to talk to you. Thank you. You've been listening to Witness to Yesterday, the Champlain Society podcast on Canadian history. Please visit our website at www.champlainsociety.ca, where you'll find more about what the Society does, including its publications, its blog, and more about these podcasts. There's also, of course, a place to become a member and a sustainer of the Society. If you like to see primary sources made available to students, the Champlain Society has been at it since 1905. My name is Patrice Dutille. This interview was recorded in the Allen Slate Radio Institute of Ryerson University. It was recorded on March 29, 2018, and was produced by Sumit Dami and Naomi Katz. Thank you, everybody. See you next time.